John chapter 8, verse 12. Then Jesus spoke to them again, saying, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Any of you guys ever scared of the dark when you were kids? Still? Still, yeah. It's a funny thing, isn't it? Um, how how uh, we are afraid of what we can't see. We're afraid of what we can't, we feel like we don't know. The unknown scares us. The darkness scares us. And, and, and in one sense, when you're really small, you're really scared of the dark because you know less. And the older you get, that you get to a place where maybe you're not as scared because you kind of realize it's not that big a deal. I've, I know my room and there's no monsters under my bed or in my closet. You know, and, and so you, you kind of feel like it's, it's going to be okay or... Maybe if you're in the house by yourself, you can you kind of lock and all, close all the doors, and you're in the room that, that you're in, and you know that's safe. So you think, okay, it's okay, it's no big deal, and you kind of you can convince yourself enough that it's going to be okay. And there's even I think part of us where as we get older, uh, we we start we tend to like the darkness if we're honest, because we like the idea of obscurity, we like the idea of being cloaked and covered, and no one seeing or actually doing. So there's a part of the darkness, a part of the unknown that we're attracted to. We like the fact that we don't want someone to see what we're doing. And in this, this contrast between darkness and light is a theme that John brings out through the gospel. He brings it through uh, his epistles. It's something that, that uh, we see, obviously, even God starts the scriptures with. In, in the very beginning of creation, right? The first thing God creates is light. In the beginning uh, was God... Uh, and, and he says, let there be light. And so you, you see God separating the light from the darkness. And, and this this contrast that he wants people to see, where there's the unknown and the known. What what can't be known or what uh, uh, what we don't want to be known compared to what is known. And so what's interesting is that when Jesus makes this statement, he's wanting to connect what he's saying here to all that's been happening uh, throughout all the Old Testament scriptures, all the sort of metaphors that had to do with light that God used about himself, uh, Jesus is wanting to claim to himself. And this is kind of one of the things that we see with all the I am statements. We see that these I am statements, as we talked about in the introduction a few weeks ago, that these things are all pointing to the deity of Christ, the fact that Jesus is indeed God the Son. And so he's wanting to do that once again, underscore that reality of his deity, by connecting himself to all those metaphors of light. It's interesting because some commentators believe that this, what we see here in verse 12, is just really a carry-on from what we saw or what you would have seen in chapter 7, verse 52. And the scene where Jesus is at this feast and, uh, <clears throat> and he's uh, basically having one of his many sort of tangles with the religious authorities who, who want to resist the fact that he's the Messiah. And, and he's at this place, and, um, and a lot of commentators were talking about this idea that this feast was probably the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths. And one of the things they would do <coughs> is they would light their, the, the huge menorah and, and pull that kind of out towards the sort of the court uh, of um, the court of the women, kind of closer to where everyone could see this. And at one point of the, the Feast of Tabernacles, they'd also take these 16 bulls, which I couldn't f- figure out what they were supposed to represent, but they took these 16 bulls, and they would fill them with oil, and they would light those all on fire. And the whole feast, or the whole um, 
week of, of feasting as they're kind of in their temporary shelters and celebrating God's provision of getting through the desert was also uh, accompanied with all this great light, or specifically around the temple was this, all this great light. And again, that was to symbolize the fact that God, when he led them through the wilderness, he led them as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. And so all of Jerusalem would be kind of lit up by the temple, the light that was coming from the temple. And so it would be in, in that kind of a scene that Jesus is saying, I am the light of the world. You're looking to this temple, you're looking to this feast as another illustration, as another metaphor, but I am the real thing. So, so the question that we have is, uh, how, does that, how should that affect us now? Okay, the fact that Jesus is the light of the world, we, 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 none of us here have a problem believing that, none of us have a problem accepting that, but how should that affect us now? How should we live in that light how should we live in that understanding? So there's three basic things that I want to sort of bring out to, to you guys. Who's got the clicker too, by the way? Is it on there? Oh, there it goes. Okay, cool. Wouldn't go backwards. It works. Okay, cool. All right, so this is the first thing we want to, we want to talk about. Jesus starts off by saying that he's the light of the world, and in doing so, like I said, he's connecting himself all these Old Testament metaphors. Now, look at these scriptures that we see. The first one in Isaiah is God kind of trying to comfort his people, Israel, that he is their light. And and notice how he says this. He says, the sun shall no longer be your light by day, nor for brightness shall the moon give light to you, but the Lord will be to you an everlasting light, and your God, your glory. Your sun shall no longer go down nor uh, shall your moon withdraw itself. For the Lord will be your everlasting light. And notice, and the days of your mourning shall be ended. And so all of Israel understood from that prophecy that this idea of God being light, this idea of God shining as their light was the sort of the pinnacle or the ushering in uh, of, of the kingdom. When God's kingdom came, there, there, there was this understanding there is not going to be a need for any other light because God himself is going to be their light. They're going to be that in that close proximity. So they're not going to need any sort of, uh, I wouldn't say artificial lights, but any sort of created lights because the creator himself is going to be their light. So then we see, a, of course, a very similar thing in Revelation uh, talking in the future <coughs> and, uh, of the new earth, and it says, and there shall be no night there, and they need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and he and they shall reign forever and ever. <clears throat> now, when the Jews heard Jesus say, I am the light of the world, they would have understood that he was saying, I am God who shines forth. The kingdom has indeed come. And so one of the things we need to recognize <coughs> about the light is the light is meant to communicate something. That the light of Jesus is meant to communicate both this, this kingdom, this promised kingdom that is already and not yet. So that when we see Jesus making this proclamation, he's saying, look, the kingdom has come and the kingdom's going to come. He, he's, he's ushering in, he's inaugurating that kingdom. He's beginning to say, he wants to communicate that. Now, this is important because <coughs> practically this affects how we live now. We need to be <coughs> those who live in light of the kingdom, recognizing that we are currently right now citizens of a kingdom that is already and yet not it, not yet. And, and, and it's interesting, too, because how do we there live in that tension? How do we understand um, 
how to live that way. How do you, it's one thing to know, okay, I know how to live in a kingdom that's complete. And I know how to wait for a kingdom that's not yet. But how do you live in a kingdom that's already and not yet? Well, what, what's the scripture say? If you go a couple of verses over in John chapter 8, Jesus starts talking about this idea of communication. Uh, he, he goes through some debate with the, uh, again, religious leaders. And it says in verse 31 that then Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, he said, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. So Jesus is going to, and we'll see this later on as we talk about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life uh, a bit more. But Jesus here is wanting to make sure they understood, listen, you're believing the words I have to say. You're believing the testimony that I'm bringing, that I am God's son, that I am the Messiah. Well, if you are actually my disciples, then abide in my words. Now, this is important because the psalmist said a similar thing. The psalmist said, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. So there's this reality. When, when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he's being really clear. Remember, John starts his gospel off by what, but saying what about Jesus? In the beginning was the, the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God, and later on the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And so when Jesus calls himself the light of the world, he's seeing himself as, of course, he's connecting himself to this promise of the kingdom, but also he's communicating how we live in the kingdom. This is what it looks like. To, if you look at Jesus, you can say, okay, that's what it looks like to live in a kingdom that already is, but is not yet. It's already, but not yet. We look at him, and we go to his word. We say, okay, Lord, you told us how to live. We're going to follow that. And as we follow and abide in what you say, what happens is, then you begin to show us, this is how I need to live right now. And this is really important. Because a lot of times what happens is, we tend to, one of the mistakes that we can make uh, is wanting to live in the already we try to do all that Jesus did. And we try to just mimic all that Jesus did. Now, that's not completely wrong, but what can happen is we're forgetting that he's, he's God. <laughs> uh, he's king. So there's no hindrance to his personal reign. So he can do uh, whatever he wants to do. So we try to copy kind of all those miracles. And we tend to ignore or, or sort of just maybe study but not do the things that he said. And instead of just saying, okay, Lord, you're the light. You want us to do what you say. Your light is communicating something to us. You want us to follow what you say. So when Jesus says he's the light of the world, he's the light that communicates to us. And he wants us to follow what he says. It's in following what he says that we get understanding, that we get light. But also, notice what he says. He says, uh, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me. He who follows me. Now, it's cool because the word for follows that she's all throughout the New Testament. It's a word that doesn't just, it's not this idea of like, you know, like if you have a dog, a stray dog that's kind of following you around. It's just kind of going where you're going, okay? It's this idea of walking in the same direction. It really is a, more of a picture of either walking a road that somebody else has already walked or walking side by side with somebody, which to me is, is a better description of what Jesus meant when he called his disciples, come and follow me. He didn't just say, okay, stay 10, te- steps, ten steps behind and make sure you end up where I end up. He's, he's wanting a relationship with them. He's wanting them to walk with him. This is important as well because when we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world, we're not just talking about some kind of impersonal force. We're not just talking about this idea that Jesus and his teachings or Jesus and what he represents 
or, or, or Jesus had some sort of a power. He had the light of the world, and that sort of power helps us to see things that we were supposed to see. No, it's the person. He said, follow me. It's the relationship to the person that we're called to relate to. Now, what's interesting is that that's actually really well illustrated in the story that happened right before this in John chapter 8. Now, there's, a, there's some question of whether or not that story uh, should be uh, in John's gospel. It's not in any kind of very many early manuscripts and, and even some of the manuscripts that it's in. It's kind of in another place. And so there's a lot of people that would doubt that this is supposed to be uh, actually a part of Scripture. But nobody doubts that what it says about Jesus, the character it shows about Jesus, the way he deals with sin, the way he deals with the sinner, um, uh, the way he exposes the, the, the Pharisees, um, fits with the character of Jesus. And it specifically, I think, fits with the, the, the way he, he dealt with people, the fact that he sees this woman, she's caught in adultery, and he, and he tells her, uh, neither do I condemn you, go and sin no more. That he's willing to, to treat her with a, as a person. He's willing to sort of uh, in, interact with her. And, and this is the kind of person that he is. Now, it's also interesting because when we're talking about, he says, he who follows me, we see John, again, unpacking what this looks like in his, in his, um, his epistle. So why don't we turn there quickly to 1 John chapter 1. And let's look at the epistle of John. And what does it mean to walk uh, with the light, because if he's the light that walks with us, what does it mean to walk in that light? So, one John chapter one. <coughs> starting in verse five, one John one, starting in verse five. Jesus says, "This is the message we have heard from him from." From Christ, and declared to you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So John has no problem writing in his gospel, Jesus saying, "I am the light," and concluding here in his epistle, "God is the light." Okay. So he says, "There's no darkness with Him at all." Therefore, he says in verse six, "If we say we have fellowship with Him, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth." So what does it mean to walk in darkness as opposed to walking in the light? Well, this is what he goes on to explain, verse 7. He says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Now, how did Jesus, as the light of the world, also walk in the light? He walked completely out in the open. He, he didn't have secrets. There was nothing that was hidden about who he was. He would hold back revealing things about himself because he wanted that to be done specifically at, during his, his death and resurrection. But he didn't ever kind of try to hide who he was. Uh, he answered direct questions about who he was. That was one of the things that was most frustrating about his dealings with the Pharisees. Was he, they would say to him, especially as, they, as he was being crucified or before he was being crucified, when he's being tried, they, they say to him, you know, just tell us plainly. He says, I, I told you, you know, before, who, this is who I am, you know. And so there's this idea that he's, he's always kind of lived this way. But also he says, uh, in verse 7, he says, As if we have fellowship with him, I'm sorry, as we walk in the light, as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So just even by the first sentence there in verse 7, we know walking 
in the light versus walking in darkness, it does not mean that we're walking sinlessly. Because otherwise, why would we need cleansing from sin? He's not talking about walking sinlessly, though Jesus, of course, is sinless. He's talking about walking with no hindrance between you and God. He's talking about walking completely open before God. There's no, you're not hiding anything from God. You're not trying to keep things from God. You're not trying to ignore things that you know God sees. That There's a complete openness there with him. This is why he goes on to say in verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, <coughs> and the truth is not in us. <coughs> if, we, if we say, okay, look, I, I don't have sin. I, there's no sin in my life. There, there's nothing I, that I've ever I'm practicing that I'm sin. Well, we're, we're deceiving ourselves. Because when we walk in the light, what does the light do? It exposes how sinful we are. This is one of the things that we experience as we walk with God. We walk with God and we think, man, I'm just really wretched. In fact, I think the biggest, the hardest thing about walking in the light, walking with God, in full, being fully exposed by God, walking in that full exposure, you might say, is the, the, the desire to sort of run and hide. It's the, it's, the, it's the sense of looking to yourself and thinking, just no, go away, I, I, I see how bad I am. Which is not what God wants us to do, he wants us to look to him. But it's, it's easy for us to do that. So, so what we're tempted to do then is to say, no, no, I, I must not have sin. Otherwise, I could not enjoy this fellowship with God. And, and, and John says, no, that's the, the point. You're lying to yourself if you think there's no sin that's still creeping up in your life. Instead, he says, we, we quoted it this morning, right? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. In other words, it's not just enough for us to, to recognize that, um, uh, okay, I'm not sinning now. We need to make sure that we are recognizing that we have, we are sinners. We have sinned in the past. We can't act like, oh, no, there's no sin in my life. That the sin isn't an issue. No, sin is the issue. But he calls us to walk in the light so that he can deal with our sin. And this is important for us to think about because um, one of the things that, that we need to recognize in, in relating to Jesus as God the Son, relating to him as the light of the world, is that he wants to walk with us, not just to expose us, but so he can expose and cleanse. Expose and cleanse. This is the pattern that we find uh, in our lives as we learn to walk with God. And it's, it's something that we, we, we should, I don't want to say get used to, but something we should expect. That's the norm. That as we walk with God, we're going to see new areas where we fall short. Uh, we're going to see maybe old areas creeping back up. And we have to keep going back to God and saying, God, forgive me. Now, this, is, this to me ties into um, also what the psalmist says in Psalm 119. Psalm 119.05, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Now, I've seen paintings uh, with this verse on them. And it'll be like a painting of like, uh, these beautiful houses kind of lit in this, with a forested background, and they all have kind of windows or lights coming out of the windows, and there's this path coming from the houses. The path goes away from the houses. There's this a lamppost, a big shiny lamppost, and it shows this big sort of section of, of road that you're walking on. You think, oh, isn't that, isn't that lovely? He's a lap to our feet, you know. But that's not what they had when, when David wrote this. When David wrote this, they would have literally like a, like a, a little clay a pot that had a, a, a bit of oil in it and a wick and this little, basically like a, a long candle flame. And that was it. 
and you would hold that lamp, this little, this little light, you would hold it down low enough just to make sure you didn't trip on a stone. I mean, it wasn't even enough to shoo away animals. It wasn't enough to sort of let you know where you're going to be, you know, 10 feet from now. It just showed you the next step. That's it. And this is important because when we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world, he doesn't want us just to kind of check in week to week or even day to day. Okay, Lord, here I am. You're the light of the world. So let's go through the process. Expose and cleanse. Expose and cleanse. Oh, I'm so glad I went to church today. I was exposed and cleansed, you know. He, he, it's not how he wants us to walk with him. Walking with him as the light of the world is, is recognizing, Lord, I can't take the next step unless you're shining with me. I want you to walk with me each step of the way. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that means that as you're at work, you have to stop and say, Jesus, should I, should I go into my office now? Should I, should, I, should I write this paper now? Should I check on this patient now? That's not what we're talking about. But we are talking about recognizing you need him with you, stepping with you, step by step, so that you know, okay, this is a place where I could trip up, or this is a place where I might trip somebody else up, or run into somebody. So you're, you're able to see what's the next step. <clears throat> and so this is what we're talking about. We're talking about not just a principle, but a person that we follow. Jesus is the light that we walk with. He's the lamp to our feet. Yeah, uh, the Word of God, the Scriptures are, 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 are one of the things that we access to hear from God. But He Himself, He wants to walk with us. And I love this because uh, light, one of the things I think this was tough about sort of looking at this is light's such an impersonal thing, isn't it? I mean, you don't look at that lamp and go, I really want to get to know that lamp. You know, nobody does that. It's just, it's just, a, it's just this power. So when He uses that metaphor about being the light, you know, you're thinking, how do you relate to light? You know? How do you have a relationship with light? But that's exactly the point. He's saying, I am the light. So it's not just about you understanding principles. It's not just about you understanding certain verses. It's about you walking with me and me leading you step by step in your life. Me showing you this is where you go. Remember what, what the, um, Solomon says in Proverbs 3, right? A verse that we probably all, probably most of us know or many of us know maybe by memory. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not in your understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. We want God to direct our paths. Not just like, God, show me what my future is. Or, you know, not just, it includes this, but it's not just this. It's not just, um, which school should I go to? Or, which job should I take? Or, should I marry this person or not marry this person? Yeah, of course we want God to direct those things. But it's, it's more of, Lord, you know, what's on your agenda today? You know, do you want me to expect something specific? Or... You know, do you want me just to do this? Or who would you have me pray for today? Or who would you have me try to, to serve today? How, how do you want me to, to use my job in a way that is going to glorify you today? Not just, I want a principle or a vision for the rest of my career. But what does God want me to do today? Light my path today. This is what it means to see Jesus as the light of the world. So, going back again to, to John's uh, gospel. <coughs> <clears throat> he says, he's the light of the world, right? He who follows me, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now, interesting. We're going to talk about life more so when we get to John 11 and Jesus saying, I'm the resurrection of life. But know this, when John specifically uses the word life, he's not just talking about 
mere existence, not just like, okay, that you're, you're still breathing, you know, okay? So it's like when he says in John 10, I'd come to give you life and that more abundantly. He's not just talking about, I'm not going to kill you anytime soon. That's not what it means, obviously, okay? He's talking about the very life of God, that we would experience the quality of life that God experienced, the quality of existence that God has, all that God has in his, his fellowship within himself, and uh, the goodness that he is, that's the life of God that God wants us to experience, okay? So when he's talking about that this, uh, but you'll have the light of life, he's, he's in a sense saying that the light that he is, is the source of that life. It's the way that we obtain that life. In a sense, it's very much like the sun, right? Um, uh, <clears throat> the sun is what sources Everything else is what causes, ultimately, everything that grows to grow on the earth. We couldn't grow without sun because we need the sun to produce what, what we need to eat so that we can grow, right? Nothing can grow without the sun. So it's the source of increasing life. It's how life continues to, to, to go out, basically. So what this means, then, is, is that we're talking about Jesus being the light of the world, that he's the light that grows in us. I'm not saying that he himself grows, because God is who he is. I'm saying that it's, he's the light that causes the growth in us. He's the one that's growing in us. Now, this is interesting, too, because um, <clears throat> before, he gets, before he says that, he first says, you're not going to walk in darkness. So he's assuming something. He's assuming that our default place is to walk in darkness. And again, this is what John talked about. If you go back a couple pages to John chapter 3... Jesus talks about this in John chapter 3, right? <coughs> Everyone knows John three sixteen, right? For God so loved the world uh, that uh, he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, he goes on to say in John uh, 7, 3, 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. But then he goes on to explain what that condemnation is about in verses 18 uh, to 21. He says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, okay? Here's the condemnation. Here's why Jesus says the whole world is condemned until they believe in him. That light has come into the world... What light came into the world? Jesus. Light came into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light, and does not come to the light, lest his deeds be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light, that his deeds may be clearly seen, that they have been done in God. Now, what Jesus is saying, <coughs> by saying that, um, that this, this light, is, this is the light of life, he's, he's talking about this reality that, that um, he says, look, you don't have to keep walking in darkness. You don't have to be this person that lives in condemnation. You don't have to be this person that, who, whose deeds are evil, and so you want to just kind of hide those deeds. You can actually come walk in the light. You can you cannot just walk in it. You can possess it. You can have the light of life. You can have the light that that sources itself, that continues to cause growth. Now, there's a great proverb, Proverbs um, four eighteen. 
Did I put it on there? Yeah. Proverbs 4.18 says, The path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter unto the perfect day. And it's this idea that the, the way we walk as believers, the expectation is we're going to grow. That we're going to grow in understanding. We're going to grow in holiness. We're going to grow in, in our love for the light and our hate for the darkness. Which is why, even though we're sinners, we're going to practice walking in the light, taking our sins to God, confessing and making, keeping short accounts because we love the light and we hate the darkness. Because we love God and we hate sin. So to, to walk in the light to, or to see Jesus as the light of the world is to recognize that it's as we walk in that light that we see him, we see actually being in that light, being with him is how we're going to grow. It's how we're going to learn to do that. That's why he says, if he believes me, is not condemned. I mean, seriously, think about that. Why wouldn't God condemn us when we sin after we We've been saved. We, after we, we, we confess faith in Jesus, you would think he'd say, you know what? You're condemned. In fact, there's some of the verses in Hebrews, which we, we may be studying after James. I don't know. But some of the verses in Hebrews make it feel that way. If you, if you sin after you've, um, you know, after you've come to the knowledge of the truth, that's it. You're toast. And you think, oh, that's so scary. But we have to understand that in the context of all Scripture, that it's immediate context in the context of all Scripture. And what Jesus is basically saying in John 3 and then again in John 8 is, look, I am the light of the world. So if you walk in me, if you walk with me, what's going to happen is you're not going to be in condemnation. You're not going to walk in darkness. You're not going to wonder what's going to happen next. Am I going to be zapped by God? Am I going to be chucked aside by God? Am I going to fall off some precipice? Is that some, you know, some creature going to attack me from the side? What's going to happen? We don't have to think that way. Because he's the light, and we're in him. And if we're in the light, God says, look, I see you as you are in Christ, in the light. So that you can, we can just then practically deal with all of our sin, because we know he has already provided for it to be dealt with. And we can grow from that. This is why it's important for us, practically, to be the kind of people who are open, with our, open about our sins with one another. Open about our shortcomings. I'm not saying that every shortcoming, every sin should be known, made known to every person. That would be inappropriate. Some, some things you should keep only to your closest friends or spouses or whatever the case might be. Uh, some things you would, you would, yeah, some things would, you, you might share a bit broader, maybe in a house group where you have some committed relationships in the house group. Some you might confess before the church if it was needed or whatever the case might be. But it is important for us. The Bible says we're going to see in James in a few weeks that we are to confess our sins one to another. Why? Because Jesus is the light of the world. And therefore there's no condemnation. Because Jesus is the light of the world, therefore we can walk in that light and know it's not just to be exposed, but to be cleansed. We can, that's what he wants to do. So, Jesus being the light of the world is more than just um, another principle or another metaphor. It's a reality that makes us realize we can enjoy God. The holy, perfect God that hates sin, we can enjoy him now. Amen?